0: Welcome to another episode of Badass Banking, and today I'm in Virginia, and I'm joined with Ron McDaniel, who is in Austin today?
1: Austin. I'm at home in Austin.
0: Austin. And you are the VP of Strategic Solutions at Q2, with an emphasis, according to the shirt, on open.
1: So what the hell is that? Well, I I wore the t-shirt. I wore my black t-shirt today to emphasize what a badass I am for badass banking. But uh yeah. so Q2 that, Open, That's why
0: I'm wearing a blue polo, because there's right. nothing more badass than a blue polo.
1: That's, that's high level <laughs> stuff. Get out your get out your baseball bats. Um no, Q2 Open is Q2's banking as a service group. So actually this t shirt is out of brand, I think, but uh, but uh, Q2 Open is Q2's banking as a service group. So you know Q2 has a pretty broad portfolio. You know, we don't have multiple products in any segment, but we covered the end-to-end spectrum of both sides of the balance sheet. Uh, you know, we started as a, with a digital servicing product, which was, you know, small and, you know, small, medium business consumer. And then we made some acquisitions. We got Centrix to handle on, on the red tech side. We built a commercial uh, slash corporate banking product. We acquired Precision Lender and Cloud Lending, which allows us to get servicing, so now we can buy, sell money, sell money. But every other part of our business really deals with aggregating existing data systems that that are the infrastructure of the bank. I think one of the things we realized in about 2015 was that fintechs were growing fast and as a mission driven company that exists to strengthen communities by strengthening the financial institutions that serve them. We had to find a role for the community and regional financial services ecosystem to play in the FinTech economy. And in order for that to work, plugging FinTechs into, uh, you know, 30 year old banking infrastructure was not gonna be a viable model. So we acquired a company called Social Money that was the, you know, the company that rolled out Smarty Pig essentially yeah. their IP and they have it and released a product called CorePro. And CorePro is the first and only purpose-built core processing system for standalone digital only lines of business. There's really three things that's for right? One is banks that wanna sort of create their own direct bank or challenge their own brand, right? Second category is banks that want an innovation platform, right, where they have an existing, you know, they have an idea, but they either can't do it because the technology is too rigid or they can't do it because the cost model of their sort of existing core system doesn't work. So they bring in CorePro as the system of record for that line of business. And then the third model where we're really doing the bulk of our, our deals today is facilitating the partnership between community banks like NBKC and LSB and, uh, you know, MBB with, you know, really sort of, you know, top tier unicorn, Deca Unicorn level FinTechs like, you know, Credit Karma and Square and Betterment and Acorns. Um, You know, I I think that we've had some success with that in part because unlike a lot of the sort of next gen core providers, we're not trying to do bank conversions. Like I see RFPs to do a bank conversion from one full service core to another. Well, the truth is Q2's banking business already works with 40 odd different core systems and they're all really good at running a full service bank. That's not what we do. We're here to do the essential functions of Compliance, accounting, and transaction processing, and get out of the way of everything else. So yep. that's my, ready by ready the best. way, that's my that's my pitch. So whatever yep. we talk about for the next twenty minutes is up to you. But that's, it's a good that's pitch. Sure.
0: It's a good pitch. You know, this is going to be on Spotify, so nobody can see this shirt. But I'm going to do a screen capture so they can sure, see. It. Sure. That's that's a that is a good looking shirt. Um, but no, I'm on the same page as you are. I mean, I've always felt going back to my early days of Gizio, the 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 future of banking uh, will the future bank will be a bank one way or another, right? We, we will probably redefine a bit what banking is, mm-hmm. but, um, and, and it'll always be different things to probably different people, not necessarily just a demographic issue. Um, but but fintechs are not the foes. Fintechs are, they, they, they know that they want to be part of the retail banking or even wholesale banking ecosystem. Most of the successful fintechs I'm seeing have figured that out. They want to be part of the banking scene, per se. And uh, and to me, that makes perfect sense. Ultimately, through these partnerships, the real winners are going to be the consumers, business or you know retail. It doesn't matter. They're going to get better product. They're going to get a uh, more seamless uh, interface. They're going to have less friction, uh, and banking will probably, hopefully, become more ever more relevant to them highly contextual i put a tweet out today i got something from betterment you know i don't keep a lot of money there i think i have like five grand or something there it was more of an experimental thing matter of fact they reminded me i probably need to get it the heck out of there but they're like hey brian you ought to prepare for retirement you know how you doing with your nest egg you know i i love the fact that they're pushing out uh predictive or they're pushing out uh content and trying to engage me but i'm I'm already retired, and my if I don't have a nest egg at 59, I am hosed, right? So they've got to figure out a way to, you know, personalize these communications so they're relevant and contextual. And Betterment, you know, they're a unicorn; they're doing great, but they just don't get it. There's a disconnect. So you've got a, um, you've got an odd advantage, in my opinion, and I know you'll agree. You know, you've only got seven or eight ex- years experience in the banking industry per se. So Q2 really rolled the dice by bringing in the outsider, which I think was a brilliant move because you approach things a lot differently. Now you and I've talked a little about in the past about the the issue of customer onboarding or member onboarding. There's often a lack thereof, that's part of the problem. Um, Why is it such a struggle and what does it say about the culture of banking?
1: so that 's a big that 's a big question and 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 if you 'll indulge me uh, i 'll I'll sort of put some context around this in, a, in so i 've only so as you said i 've only been in banking for about seven years, which is oh, it 's amazing to say that 's only because that 's an eternity in the technology industry yeah. the first uh, twelve years of my tech career, I was with uh, HP. Uh, and then I did a startup for a couple of years and like bootstrapping being what it is I had to go get a job, which is how I came to q two but uh, But the last job I held at Q2, at at HP rather, I was the relationship manager between the entertainment industry and HP's PC business, right? So, you know, it was right after the financial crisis and we were just loading PCs up with whatever we could find that would make us money. And one of the things we had was this partnership with Netflix, which would pay us a bounty to to bring them subscribers. You with me so far? Yep, yep. So naturally, brought up, you know, uh, Blockbuster approaches us too, because about this time, they're starting to take Netflix seriously, right? And so they, you know, come to us and essentially, I can tell this story now, it's 10 years ago, but they come to us and essentially their pitch to me was, hey, it's better for your brand if you do with us what you're doing for Netflix, except with us. It's better for your brand to work with us it's like, well, why is that? And it's like, well, you know, we're creating a much better customer onboarding experience than what you've got. And we're going to do what Netflix does better than Netflix. And I said, how is that? And they said, well, because what people really like about Blockbuster is what we do in store. So we're recreating the store experience for the online environment. And I remember thinking at the end, the economic, I mean, Of course we were coin operated, right? So we would've done, don't get me wrong, we would've done it if the deal had worked out. But I remember thinking at the time, I think that Netflix is successful precisely because they are not recreating Blockbuster's in-store experience, right? There's gotta be niche because the success that Netflix has had is proving it. So fast forward to get into um, into banking seven years ago, You know, I remember the interview I had at Q2 and I don't think it was going all that well. And then uh, Scott Abiel, who I think, you know, from Q2 is interviewing me and he kind of goes through this and I'm not doing all that well at all. And he kind of gets to the part where in a sort of a perfunctory way, he's like, well, you know, what questions do you have for us? And my question was, why does financial services, why does everything in financial services feel like Amazon in like 2002? Because I was coming from an e-commerce background. You know, there's a menu. And if I know exactly what I'm trying to do, I can do it. But apart from that, this is exactly like walking into an office, except online. And it turned out that was a pretty good question, right? There's, yep. there's all there's and there's like some primary vectors for that. There's the there's the technology banking gets in the way, and there's the cost structure gets in the way. But a lot of the culture of banking really inhibits a better customer onboarding experience because what I think the biggest like you and Patrick sells were talking about this in a different episode about the culture of banking. And I think you know, he's maybe a little harder on the guys than I would be, but then I sell to these guys, right? So I, I have to be sympathetic.
0: He's a lot but, younger, so he's yeah, very yeah, well, you Yeah, know, but
1: in any business, I think the biggest enemy to changing your culture are the things you tell yourself about yourself, right? About what's important and what you value. And if you're really convinced that what your customers value about you is the full service customer experience, when you try to deliver that in an e-commerce environment, you fail because it's way too heavy, right? right? Um, You know, I think part of why Q2 acquired Grow was because Grow, um, you know, operates like an e-commerce shopping cart, right? And an e-commerce shopping cart is probably the best model on a go-forward basis for how to onboard a new customer Mm -hmm. to get somebody to buy a product than to try to sort of uh, you know strong arm them into this very comprehensive, full service relationship with a person you just met, right? So you know you step putting the technologies challenges aside for a second because I, I think they're very important and relevant. I think part of the culture of banking needs to look at the differences between the in branch experience and the the digital banking experience and understand that they are different and the reasons why they are different is because of the channel they're in. Fintechs are doing what you can only do in a digital environment. They're not doing a lot of things you can do in branch, right? Branches should be focused on things you can only do in branch for the person-to-person interaction, and really the, the digital experience should be focused on what you can only do in digital, which is, um, you know, assess the credit worthiness of a person in very short order and provide them with a nearly frictionless, very fast way to become a customer. And if you can't make them a customer fast, then your onboarding experience is bad.
0: Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah so I think- So long think way they, to go to
1: answer the question, but I think what yeah. it says about bank culture is that bank cultures, and to a certain extent credit unions, although I think credit unions are a little bit out ahead of banks right now with this, is that is that banks and credit unions are seem to still think that what people want in the online environment is a digital version of what they have in branch, and I don't think that's true. Well,
0: you look at the you look at the average bank or credit union website. That's what it looks like. It's just merchandising of the branch, basically. It's still that menu driven, you know, linear approach to banking. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah the average the average financial website looks pretty darn bad. It doesn't look much different than it did in nineteen ninety six. Well, and look,
1: I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm don't get me wrong. I'm not one of these people that that. Uh, Thinks the branch is dying. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it. I don't think that's true. Like. Yeah, I'm, I'm like with the you paper, there too. I think that's like the paperless office, right? I just yeah. don't think it'll ever happen. I think the banks and the credit unions that are successful are going to be the ones who figure out what the branch is good for and yeah. focus their efforts and make their branches really, really good. Because when nowadays, like, uh, you know, uh, UFCU here in Austin, University Federal Credit Union, mm-hmm. really all about their relationship with the University of Texas. Like they talk about, I've talked to them before, they talk about the signage they have at the UT baseball stadium. Yep. They talk about, about that as part of the branch, like their sports, you know, their sports endorsements and their relationship to the athletic department and their relationship to the academic scholarships in the nursing school. Like they talk about that in terms of the branch and that's really smart, right? But uh, they don't talk about that in terms of online. I think that's smart too.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. University is a good example. So, so culture change is really not enough though, right? That's, that's not going to be enough to, to transform this industry or allow this industry to survive or thrive.
1: No, I I don't think, I mean, I, I think culture is the, I think culture is, I think culture change is required, but it's not enough. I think that, you know, we, you and I have talked about this before that you know, the whole idea of like digital transformation being something that you can just do if you orient your head differently. Yeah. Like, I mean, the fact of the matter is that the existing technology environment is almost impossible to unwind. And I would argue that in many cases, unwinding it is a fruitless kind of endeavor. Like, I don't know that the pain of, and the bigger you get, the harder it gets, but I don't know that the pain of deconverting Tens of thousands or a hundred thousand people from one system that does a thing to another system that does almost the exact same thing. Uh, I don't think that's really where the value is in in transform in digital transformation. Like I think the value in digital transformation is letting the stuff that works today continue to work, and then building new things and using those as the engines of your of your growth direction instead right. of the stuff that doesn't have a lot of
0: growth attached to it. Yep. And and I think that impacts product strategy too. I mean, it's finding new new ways of developing new savings, savings instruments, or, you know, what is a checking account? Why is a checking account built the way it is today? Why can't it be different? You know, should have rewards baked in, should have, you know, a, a bill pay function that's built into it because we use it as a household finance account. You know, that's, that's how it is. It's no longer for writing checks per se. That's how we manage our day-to-day business. I've run into a lot of CEOs over the last 10 years that have, uh, who have told me, hey, you know what, Brian, we're changing our culture. And then I asked them to define it. Well, we've torn down some walls in the headquarters. You know, it feels like a startup. We've got a foosball table in the and in, in, in we, we even serve beer at lunch. And I'm like, you know what? That's lipstick on a pig. That's not drive. That's not culture. That's just an environmental change of physical space. That's not going to do it you know it's it's a way of thinking that's got to evolve and and that's that's i think the real challenge so are you um you're pretty bullish on the future of banks obviously or the banking industry and that includes credit unions
1: yeah yeah i i, I am and i think that over time and i'm starting to see this and patrick is a good example and i have, i can think of other examples off the top of my head where a lot of the people who are in this industry uh, particularly coming from the technology provider side, are seeing banks as an opportunity to put the things they talk about into practice because right. they understand the risk environment, they have a realistic understanding of what banks go through, they know what's broken, and they know who the ecosystem players are, and they've got a good handle on strategies to improve it. A good example of that is, um, is uh Steve Bone at First Entertainment Credit Union. Who is the kind of the chief strategy officer, yep. chief innovation officer, t- similar to Patrick's job at, at First Entertainment? You know, I think that I think that the future is actually quite bright. I think that fintechs and the relationship and the kind of the merger of fintechs and community banking in, in some form is kind of the community bank of the future. Whether it's a fintech who is not a chartered institution and really focuses on customer acquisition and customer service while a bank focuses on the accounting and compliance and money movement parts or fintechs that buy their own chartered bank and i can think of a couple banks that were well banks fintechs buying banks that we've worked with that are doing that or banks that are rolling out their own fintech programs so i i you know contrary to others i think that people are becoming much more sensitive to the value proposition of each financial service provider and like you said in the bank rate article we were talking about earlier before the show started. I think that more and more people are going to start curating their own package of financial services, which only benefits, I think, the aggressive, acquisitive, innovative banks who can find a way to get out of their own way and to not use, you know, cost or timing as an excuse not to do new things or risk, right?
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, curating that for me, it's a pain in the ass. You know, it takes a lot of time and, and it's a chore and I don't look forward to doing it, but I feel like I have a sense of control when I can look at Vanguard, Raymond James, my local bank stuff, which I use for my daily stuff, all in one screen. Today, what I'm forced to do is I'm forced to use either a half-baked PFM or or Quicken. and I use Quicken right now. I pay, I think, $79 a year for it. Um, so it's it's no, a, it's an awkward situation.
1: We're, I'm actually talking to some companies right now. It's interesting you should say that, where their where their 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 plan is to create sort of a marketplace of financial services, both from chartered institutions that are issuing accounts and non-chartered services providers, insurance companies and lenders and the like, where where they would give you the platform that would allow you to curate a loan from here and a deposit account from here and a payment offering from here and an insurance offering from here. And we'll let you pull it together. Cause I agree with you. You're right. PFM in and of itself is not, um, is not nearly enough. Yeah. We'll say to actually do that. But I think that's a real opportunity. I think the other opportunity that I'm seeing a lot of um, you know, is beyond payments is hearing about people that are sort of doing real cash management, the way that a business should, Mm-hmm. At both the small business like sole proprietor, very small business level, or even the consumer level, where you're where you're normalizing and rash and normalizing somebody's cash position by using a combination of credit and cash and timing to pay out their deliverables and then also managing their budget, which is always the then the direction I thought PFM would go, but then I, I think I realized later on that. You can't really do that unless you can all also put together the product offering in the same place.
0: Yep. Yep. So one last
1: question. What's that? I said hopefully somebody will do that. Maybe you.
0: Yeah. Hey, maybe. Could be both of us. You never know. Um, one last question. Do you have a favorite fintech du jour or of the year?
1: Ah gosh, it would definitely be one of uh one of our customers. Uh, nothing wrong with uh, that. You know, right now, I, right, now it's, right now, it's a toss up. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't want to play favorite with your kids, but right now for me, it's a toss up between uh, Betterment and Credit Karma for different reasons. I think Credit Karma has given people, and, and for reasons having nothing to do with what we do with them, right? Yep. Credit Karma, I think, has, has really democratized and put people in charge of their own equity in the, in the sort of credit system, I yep. think. And that's yep. very important. Right. I think for a long time that was something that people were separated from and locked out of. It's a good example of a fintech doing something that only a fintech can do. Right. right. And you can only do it in a digital environment. Betterment I like because they're doing something that you also could not do in a human to human environment, which is, as far as I know, cost effectively serve an investor that is investing with very small dollars oh, and I know. very small increments at a yeah. time. Yeah. So it's a great and this is true for acorns too, right? I don't mean to play favorites. I just happen to be better than a customer, right? Yeah. So the so I like so those I like both of them for the same reason fundamentally, which is that they are democratizing something that was not broadly available to other people before and putting consumers, I think, very much in charge of their own destiny. Yep. But then also doing it in a responsible way where they're not Left completely alone. They're not just handing them the reins and saying, here you go, but they're actually giving them some guidance and some tools in a well delivered way that allows them to do, to be smart and to be empowered and to, you know, change their own lives with some assistance. And to me, that's the best use for technology possible.
0: I will say this about Betterment. So I'm in my account right now, just looking at it, and it's not 5,000 I have, it's 20,000. So that's you a surprise. Yeah, that's a surprise. But I, I do recall now I transferred $5,000 from, um, from the Build Wealth, they call it the Build Wealth account, all right, which is in their version of an index fund in essence, right? Uh, or a mutual fund, I'll call it, not necessarily index. Cause, and then I picked my, my, my tolerance to risk and I went aggressive with mm-hmm. it. I actually made some money, but I put money into the uh, checking account with the plan of transferring it out, never really did it. But uh, what I like is all the, the planning tools that they have built in there and the prompts. They nudge you to keep planning. They nudge you to build your safety net. And now they've got the Betterment checking account, which is a pretty good checking account.
1: So this is what I mean about dependency, by the way, and having infrastructure that accommodates you by only doing a few things. So, so we're the core provider for that checking account. This isn't a big secret, right? I, I don't mind if this gets out. In terms of functionality, they didn't rely on us to build any of that.
0: Yeah, they don't need like, to. You know
1: what I mean? Like, this is what yep. I'm talking about. Like, they're, this is not the kind of thing where the financial services company, and they're doing that through a bank, right? But they didn't have to go back to the core processor and say, build XYZ in order for me to do nudges, yep. right? We just gave them an appropriate level of control over the product infrastructure and they built the things that only know how to, they only they know how to build, right? Because I mean... You know, innovation, you know, what all innovators have that almost no financial institutions have is the ability to, to you know, well, to, to move fast and to move cheaply, which is to say to fail fast and to fail cheaply so that you can iterate over yep. time until you find an avenue to success. I think by not relying on us to build the things that you just talked about for the checking account, that's the best partner we can be to both the bank that powers and issues the accounts and also to better
0: yeah, I'm in their TNC right now. I was looking to see who the who, who their their behind the scenes bank was. They don't have a bank, they have many banks and they refer to them as their program banks. Mm-hmm. You have to dig deeper to see who the program banks are. And among them are three of the top 10 banks in the United States. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, so they've got a good talent pool that they can tap into when it comes to building these products and they can find a way to build it even better. Listen, I appreciate your time today. I know you got a lot going on. There's another meeting probably
1: coming up. Um, any last thoughts uh, thanks for having me on Brian I, I, I feel like a real badass now you,
0: you, now you you know you're a celebrity because you got the badass shirt on right. um, I appreciate it
1: take care